Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Well, Jenna, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired, but I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> a little tired and a little cold, maybe, because it is freezing. Yes, it's been really crazy. And our our furnace went out. <gasps> uh, well, or heat pump or whatever it is, it's, it's gone. It's, it's not working, <laughs> you know? So oh, we're yeah. using, like, space heaters and stuff because like I fixed it like four or five times over the past year or two. Mm -hmm. And at this point it's like, I have to replace the whole thing and I just don't want to invest like four or five or 10,000 or, you know, a ridiculous amount of money to fix the heat. So we're oh making my, it. Oh my goodness. Cause yeah. I, you know, I used to always say I hate winter, but I don't really hate it. I just wish I, I hate it when there's no snow. That's the problem. If we could at least get snow, but we never do. It's always just cold and gray. and Yeah. <laughs> well, we're expecting like anywhere between like one inch to like three feet. Um, but <laughs> I think the, <laughs> but this weekend, I think Sunday into Monday, we're expecting about, I think like almost a foot is what we're actually expecting at this point. Mm. So we'll see what happens. It'll be our second snow, and um, we're in southern Ohio, so that's kind of unusual. So, well, I'm in southwestern Ohio. It keeps just missing us, so I, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm right across from you, so I'm southeast. Okay, got you, got you. Yeah. So it always just, and you know, for me, it's at least Christmas. Can we at least have a white Christmas for once in so many years? But you didn't have one last year. No, not really. There was a dusting like two days before, then it melted away. Oh, we had like a huge snowstorm on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. See, it just keeps missing us. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. But enough about me. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, well, as everybody I'm sure has already guessed, I'm from southeastern Ohio. Um, kind of in the middle of nowhere in a town that nobody's ever heard of. Um, that's closer to West Virginia than anybody dares care to really talk about. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I've been a writer um, for a long time. I'm a writer, survivor, and advocate for domestic violence and sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have always used that as my creative outlet. And every time I try to do something else, I always return to it. So I'm a writer and a mom of three teenagers i was trying to think of like a really good adjective but like i think the side said enough um <laughs> oh i know that side because i have three teenagers too so <laughs> yes yeah so i have i have a pair of twins that are turning 18 next month oh <laughs> well yeah hopefully around about 18 things i think start kind of leveling off as far as the teenage stuff goes um, well, my daughter's doing really great. She's got a job and she's going taking like 
college credit plus. So she has, uh, she's taking college classes in high school and her high school classes. So it's kind of a balance there. She's doing really well for herself, although um, she's becoming very mature and she's kind of sassy and everything. So it's, <laughs> we're both dominant females. So we're going to kill each other soon. I'm sure. <laughs> well, good for her on the education side anyway. <laughs> so, yes. so when did you first yes. develop your uh, interest in writing? When did that start? Um, the first time my brother read to me, he was five years older than me. So whenever he started reading to me, because um, my parents were very busy and they didn't have a whole lot of time. And um, so he was the one that would sit and read with me. So the first time that he did that, I wasn't like immersed in the story, but like just kind of the effect of, wow, I want to be able to do that. That's really right. cool to like take people places and have them experience different things and have this, this thing that people rely on and read to each other and enjoy. And I'm like, man, that would be awesome. So yeah, that's right. probably about seven, maybe earlier. So before I could really read. <laughs> <laughs> and so whenever I started writing, it was like whenever I could read well enough to write. Mm -hmm. um, so like in like kindergarten and first grade, I was like ready to learn and ready to do that because that's what I started doing almost immediately. I was always into like, I really love horror movies even to this day. And I was always into like, like King, Stephen King novels. Uh, yeah. what, what kind of books do you like most? Um, I like fantasy and um, like young adult fantasy, mm -hmm. but that's not what I write. <laughs> right. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I want to break away, but like the things that I write need to be talked about and need to be written. And this is what I need for me. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I... I want to write a fantasy. <laughs> or branch out, yeah. How many books yeah. have you written so far? Um, I have two published. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome, awesome. So you recently had uh, shared something interesting, a fact about your book, uh, Sheila's Men, in which you said Sheila is never given a description and on the cover, she's in black and white and you can't see a face. And you said you did this because you wanted all women to relate to, to her as they need to. Can you share with everyone what, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, the book is very much about my experiences through nearly a decade of domestic violence and sexual assault. And about halfway through it, I realized, you know, hey, it's not just about me. And I knew that a lot of women needed to hear this so they didn't feel alone so they could relate it to people that they know or their own personal experiences and kind of help them heal. So it was really important that I take all of that out that way as they're reading the person that they picture in their, in their head is never contradicted. So in a roundabout way, Sheila is really, every woman or any woman mm -hmm. she could be your neighbor your sister your mom your daughter she could be anyone and i didn't want to interfere with the reader's vision of who that is oh that's that's really um that's really smart is the only word that keeps coming to mind the way you did that yeah so that's a that's a pretty uh, unfortunate thing to say. Um, 
so you said you advocate for domestic abuse victims? Um, yes, I do. Um, after I had escaped my situation, he had a, um, a new target and he'd actually had an affair with her and she had no idea. She thought we were already separated and divorced and that's not really how things were going like in real life, you know, mm -hmm. so he was lying to her about that. And, you know, she came and talked to me a couple of times and asked a couple questions and I, I really liked her. She was a good person. I knew that this was not her fault because I knew what kind of person he was. So I was always very honest with her, but not like cryptic. And I left those lines of communication open and, um, a couple years later, she kind of came to me and said, you know, hey, this is what's going on. I'm really concerned. I want out. Can you talk to me? Can you help me? And so I did. I did a lot of talk with her. You know, I told her and walked her through what she was going through and compared it to my experiences because we're talking about the same abusers. So that's not necessarily what I would do with everyone. Right. But us being able to kind of compare notes it helped me a lot in like those final shreds of, cause when you're going through a lot of mental abuse and narcissistic abuse, they tend to make you think that you're crazy or that you're the problem. And so I kind of worked through it a little bit as I was talking and helping her, you know, we both kind of realized that he was doing some of the same manipulative tactics and patterns and some of his behaviors were getting much worse and he was starting to get much more violent mm -hmm. and being able to help her escape was very inspiring and uplifting for me. So I did a lot of research and I found a crisis center locally and I went through the required 40 hours of training in Ohio and I am now on the uh, rape crisis line for the survivor advocacy outreach program, normally about once a week. Wow. That's, that's awesome that you do that. Um, you said you were in this situation for about 10 years. Yes, man. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad you got out. Um, speaking of that, one thing people tend to say, and I know I've been guilty of this too, even thinking it is why didn't you just leave, you know, but you know, we know that's not really a helpful thing to say. What would be something? No. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. You, you were going to. It. I mean, it's hard to hear that because, you know, people may have the best of intentions whenever they ask that question, mm -hmm. but what's going through our mind is like, are you blaming me? Do you think it's that easy? Do you, you know, do you not realize that this is hard? So there's a lot of things going on in, in the mind of, you know, a victim or a survivor whenever they hear that. And it's kind of like condescending without uh, meaning to. Right. It's horrible. It's, it's one of the hardest questions to be asked because you're filled with, there's so many answers that it's kind of difficult. What what would you say would be something that would be if someone's in that situation and others are trying to help and maybe have questions, what would be something that would be more helpful to say or, or ask or do? Ask if they need any support. Is there anything that I can do to make this easier for you? Do you just need to talk about it? Because every individual's experience is different everyone's escape plan is different. Um, asking, you know, what can I do to help you 
be safer. Right. You know, asking what you can do to help and, you know, being able to back that up because I didn't have anywhere to go. There's, I live, whenever I had to go through the advocacy training and stuff, it's a few towns away. And so there's not a lot of help where I'm at because I'm really in the middle of nowhere and Mm -hmm. I didn't really have enough family support to be able to just leave. And, you know, I had bought my own home and I've been the one paying for it for it for almost 10 years. And so it was about me and my three kids, you know, we needed to have a safe place to stay because there was no other place to go. So it was really about convincing him and making it a good idea for him to leave on his own, which made it a lot harder. (sighs) I tell you, I, this, this is always tough stuff to hear because I don't, I just don't understand how someone could, I don't know. I just don't. Yeah. I'll, I'll never get that. I've just never been that kind of person. I'm not one to, I don't like hurting people. <laughs> I, I'll just put it that way. So I don't understand how someone could just hurt someone like willingly. That's always a mystery to me. That's the interesting thing about narcissists is that they normally come from a background of abuse or um, being around another narcissist. So mm-hmm. it kind of trails through the generations and their minds have become so twisted that they really think that they're the victim and that you're the one in the wrong. And there's actually, you can look online and they generally follow. And I was really surprised by this because I've got into a lot of support groups and I talked to a lot of women um, through those and, through different social media channels. I probably talk to more people on social media than I do through the rape crisis line. And there's a very definite pattern and you can do Google searches. There's so much information on actual narcissism, you know, not the cute little memes, but actual narcissism. They have very specific patterns of how they work. And it's a lot of gaslighting, which is manipulating and making you think that Anytime you have any kind of criticism on them, they turn it around on you because I was convinced that I was um, bipolar, had borderline personality, was going through a midlife crisis, was going through therapy. Um, And I mean, I did have some of those symptoms, but those were because of trauma and that, you know, it became where it, they slowly wear you down and kind of train you that's not like the right word but i can't think of the right word right now they groom you that's the groom yeah that sounds yeah they groom you into being docile and very accepting of what they want to do to you and that um he never hit me he hit walls beside me i have holes in like bathroom doors he used to throw things around the house um but the Um, manipulation and mental abuse was pretty severe. And um, what was even worse than that is the um, sexual assault and abuse, which became something that I learned to accept and kind of push for because he was much more docile and easier to get along with if it was um, pretty consistent. And when I say pretty consistent, we're talking about um, almost every day. And, most of the time, you know, there was no 
tenderness. There was no preparation, no matter how much I asked or tried to talk about those things. And I'm really trying to stay very PG here. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Because it didn't matter how much I wanted something or how much I tried to negotiate or work with him. It, it didn't really matter. It was kind of um, very fast, very rough. Um, so much so that, you know, those really heavy metal bed frames that you have under your bed. Yeah. Yeah. He snapped it in half with how forceful things were. Yeah. There's like a lot of evidence like that kind of around the house and I'm still here. And sometimes I get reminded of those things and, you know, I've had to learn how to really, you know, accept that that's the past and appreciate the life that I have now. Right. I've, I've come to learn over the years because we, um, we have adopted children. We also did foster care for a number of years. I've come to learn that I think sometimes the mental abuse and the trauma is far more damaging than physical abuse can be at, you know, sometimes because that, that stuff tends to last forever. You know, wounds heal, but trauma, you know, it's a constant, you're always working on that for the rest of your life. It seems. That's very true. Um, a lot of the reason, let me back up and rephrase that. Sometimes we become afraid of being triggered and we don't want to deal with those emotions and that can kind of hinder our ability to heal and being triggered is actually a good thing because it's letting you know, hey, there's something here that you need to work on. And so what I've been telling people is if they read my book, because it is triggering, there's a giant trigger warning on it, or if they are watching a movie or anything at all that triggers them. If that happens, you know, use that as a tool, use my book as a tool, because if it starts to trigger you, get your journal out, start writing, you know, let yourself feel those feelings, let yourself embrace those emotions and really talk about in your writing about how you're feeling, what you're thinking. And then whenever you're through that moment of, you know, hyper-focused and triggering and the over the emotional point, you know, go back and read through it and you'll start to see patterns. And it's a very good tool to take to your therapist to help you kind of dive deep to resolve some of those issues, not just deal with them, not just overlook them and not just push through, but to really start to resolve those issues in yourself and help you understand your reactions better. And it helps you to kind of forgive yourself because victims always blame themselves. But it's also a great tool to take to your therapist or whoever you're working with, whoever your support person is to kind of talk through it because if you're going through therapy, which I hope that everyone who has been through any kind of trauma is, but you have to realize, you know, you're only seeing them like a couple times a month. If you're really lucky. You're seeing them once a week. And that's not always enough for them to help you as much as they could if they had more information. So it's a great tool to kind of work through to improve your chances of, of healing and resolving those issues because we all want to live a much better and brighter life on the other side. And one of the messages that is really important for me to communicate is how that is possible, that I'm living proof that 
I live a completely different, very blessed, very happy life now. Um, whereas just a few years ago, I was in complete and total hell. So. Voluntary Input is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I like that you said that, though, because, you know, people say triggered nowadays. Now they kind of joke about it. Now people try to avoid being triggered. But you basically said it was the way I took it, that it's okay to be triggered because basically it's okay to feel, you know, you got to teach yourself that it's okay to feel Uh, even if you're angry, if you're sad, if you're if you're happy, it's okay to feel. Yeah, exactly, because I mean pushing those emotions down and avoiding those triggers, you're not going to heal and you're not going to grow as much as you could if you just embrace them for what they are and work through it. And you have to realize a lot of people feel that their feelings are wrong, that their emotions are wrong and your feelings are valid regardless if someone disagrees with you or not, they're valid. And it's okay to feel that way. I mean, you could always understand yourself more, but there's nothing wrong with feeling sad. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go into a room and cry for a little bit. Sometimes that's good for you and very cleansing. And sometimes that's what you really need. And that can really take you from just being a victim who was walking through life with this dark cloud over their heads, constantly in fear and thinking about the past to a survivor who has used that to springboard into a new life where, because for me, that's kind of how it worked. I worked, I moved from being a victim to a survivor and I can look back at my past and I have learned and grown from it. And while I would have preferred not to have had to learn and grow that way, I can still embrace it and say, you know what, this is my past. This is something that I escaped from. And I'm proud to be who I am today because now life is different. Life is more beautiful. I can appreciate the little moments in my life and, and I'm, I'm in love and I'm getting married in a few months and I love deeper. I love so much deeper and there's so much more appreciation and balance in the relationship than what there ever could have been before just because I wasn't afraid of my triggers because I worked through them and I did the work to heal. <sighs> That's beautiful. Um, here's a, so you say you're getting married in a couple months. Here's a, here's a big question. I think, I think it's a big question. So you went through all of that. You, you got out how do you, how did you learn to trust again? Cause I hear people talk about that all the time. You know, trust of course is earned. It's not given, but I think you have right. to learn. You have to learn to give trust too though. So how did you learn to trust again? Um, I was very fortunate that I have someone who 
he's actually a psychology student. He's studying for his master's. So uh-huh. that helps a little bit. Um, but having someone who is open enough to communicate and to realize that your feelings are valid, that's actually very, very important. It does take time. It is baby steps. It takes a long time. You know, you're not just going to go out and find someone like in a couple months and totally trust them. That's not really how that works. But don't be afraid to communicate with them and say, you know, it may not be right, but this really hurt me. This really scared me. You know, sometimes when I come to visit you, I walk upstairs to your room and I'm afraid that somebody else will be in there. You know, whatever your fears are, communicate those. And hopefully you you need to, you really have to have a partner that's understanding and realizes the efforts and stuff that you are making and will help you kind of navigate through that and be a support person because you really do need to heal as much as possible beforehand and you have to ask yourself why. Because sometimes, you know, a significant other that we're learning to trust, that we're starting to get into a relationship with, will do things that are very triggering. But we, again, we have to embrace that trigger, not take it out on them, and figure out, okay, why did I do this? You know, what am I really feeling? Is it something that they did? Or is it bringing back a memory of something that somebody else did? And being able to recognize that, long before you go to them and say, Hey, you triggered me, mm-hmm. you know, don't do that again. You know, Hey, you made me mad. Don't talk to that per. Don't talk nicely to that person at the gas station, you know, whatever it was, you know, you have to be able to separate it out from the reality to what the trigger was, because very often they're two different things. Mm-hmm. So that's where understanding yourself comes in And then that communication and not taking it out on the other person and with very open communication, you do start to move forward and you do start to trust, but I definitely wouldn't be getting into like a fast relationship with someone you don't really know because unless you've gone through a whole, whole lot of healing and it's been a really long time, I wouldn't advise it because you have to know yourself. You have to heal from your wounds and you have to understand why different things trigger you. That's where the journaling comes in mm-hmm. that helps you understand those things before you can move on. But it takes time. You have to build friendship first. And it's really important to have that open communication with an understanding partner. And I'm glad you said that about taking your time, jumping into another relationship, because I've over the years, I've known a few people who've made that mistake and it it never, never would come out well for them. And, you know, everyone around them would say, why, why did you just turn right back around and get right into another relationship? But I think that's a whole different conversation because there's a lot of other issues there, I believe, as to why somebody would do that. Yeah. If we went there, it would probably be an extra hour. <laughs> yeah, we have another <laughs> hour to go. So, so you inter- you mentioned uh, advocacy work. Um, what? First of all, any any woman, especially who finds herself in this situation, what would be some tips that or some helpful you know some helpful guidelines you could give her as to what do you need to start doing to to get out of that? Like 
especially knowing that you're in that situation and you want to get out, what are some important first steps you think that she should take? Find some support. Find a support person. Find a place that is possible to go to. Find your safe person. That's really, really important. If you don't have a safe person, um, and regardless, you should probably call one of the crisis lines. There's local ones. There's national ones. And normally the local ones can help you through and guide you to the right services. They can talk with you and just kind of make sure you're in a stable environment. That's kind of their job and what they do. Uh, um, also, if you have been sexually assaulted, it is important to know, and I didn't know, I wish that I had realized that you can actually do that anonymously and to where no one's going to know that you were there. It's a long process, but they can give you a number and have a safe way to contact you if there is a hit or anything on that so that way they can collect evidence and while you may not intend to press charges now that information and that you did go forward with that and that it exists can help you in the future if it gets to the point where hey there was a hit on this then you have some kind of proof to go forward with if you can't get him out of your home or there's a lot of different reasons why you would have that. And you actually have um, longer than you think to get that testing done. Mm. I think it's uh, longer than three days. I think it's um, actually four or five, but I would have to double check that information, but you can definitely call around and, and look into that, but get the rape kit done. And a lot of the times there are advocates that can actually go to the hospital with you and support you through that and explain what's going on. So you have someone there with you and you don't feel alone. Yeah. What we'll do is um, I'll provide some links and information in the show notes, show notes uh, with some of those phone numbers and as well as some advocacy information you provide. Anything that you think would be helpful, we'll put in the show notes. So if anyone needs it, they could, they could go straight there. And plus we'll put links to the, your books, your, what are the other two books you've written? Cause she, Sheila's men is your third, right? No, it's my second. It's the um, second. Okay. Within the gray, within the gray is my first. Oh, okay. And what was that one about? General um, synopsis. I lost my, okay. So I lost my husband whenever I was 30 years old and, um, it, it kind of follows the journey of Tara, who is the main character of Within the Gray, through a series of psychological visions and dreams as she that mirror her actual real life that kind of, I'm sorry, I'm tired. This is actually hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's kind of, you were talking about you like you would want to write fantasy novels. That's kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. Within the Gray is a place. And it, that's what's really cool about it is because I turned like the places that you go in your mind, it kind of mirrors what's happening in real life. And that's what's happening in Within the Gray. And it was, there's so many stories behind that book that I could go on for quite a while, but it is the you know, kind of the mirrored journey and the actual journey happening at the same time mm -hmm. through um, the loss of a husband, those 
stages of grief and then there's some assault and bad things that happen in there as well but not nearly as concentrated as it's completely different than in Sheila's men and um, with within the gray being the first one that I wrote um, Sheila's men is actually if you're just reading them and don't know the stories behind them Sheila's men is the prequel to it so you learn about Tara and then you go back and then you find out more about her mom because I loved, I fell in love with her as a character and within the gray. Mm -hmm. So I took her out and then moved her and it made it about Sheila's men. And so you actually get to see the main character, Tara and within the gray grow up in Sheila's men. Awesome. Well, you don't have to keep talking about it because what we'll do, we'll put links to, to both books in the show notes and then people could go get them and check them out for themselves. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer since you're tired. I understand that, you know, it, it's, uh, so Sheila's men is out now, right? I actually, I think yes, we got it, got an email about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Yes, it is out and ready to purchase. You can find it anywhere, but on your regular brick and mortar stores, you're probably going to have to order it because mm-hmm. it takes them a minute to figure out that they should buy the book and have it. But you know, that's just the way it works. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you can find it anywhere. The Amazon links will be included in, in the right. notes. In the notes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about, I mean, it's a, um, it's a tragic topic, but it's an important topic, especially the message that you can survive these things and you could go on and thrive like yourself. Yes. Yes. Life is better on the other side. Don't give up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. We'll let you go so you can get a nap (laughs) or hit the sack, whichever's (laughs) next. So, (laughs) so thanks for coming on and sharing. And as always, everyone listening, you know where to find us. Just go to voluntaryinput.com and be sure to check out the show notes so that you can find the links for any help that you may need. And not to mention to check out Jenna's books, uh, Sheila's men and in the gray within the gray within the gray all right thanks a lot we'll see you next time take care